0: Your QL fandom uncle and auntie are here with giant sunglasses, brown liquor in a flask, a folded $5 bill to slip into your hand when nobody's looking, lukewarm takes, occasional rides on the discourse, deep dives into artistry and industry, and most importantly, simping.
1: Lots of simping. I'm Ben. I'm Nini. And this is The Conversation. About once a season... We plan to swan in and shoot the shit on faves, flops, and trends that we've been noticing in the BL, GL, or QL industry. Between seasons, you can find us typing way too many words on Tumblr. And we're back. Office romance is shaping up to be the trend of the year, with more shows this spring vying to put their stamp on the subgenre. In this episode, we pit former collaborators, Chi-Wen and Nu, against each other with their pretty much opposite takes on workplace romance. Nini and I are discussing Bedfriend and A Boss and a Babe.
0: Two more different shows I think you could not find. We've got Win versus New. They work together on Make It Right and Lovesick. They have diverged. And they have fallen into two very different categories, I think, as authors. So this should be interesting. So let's get to it.
1: As with every episode this season, we recorded our reactions... Months ago or a week ago. And we'll be back at the end to give you our final thoughts and wrap up our feelings on the entirety of this whole workplace nonsense. So get to work, bitch.
0: For this episode, we wanted to put in a trigger warning because we will be talking about bed friend. And that's going to include discussions of physical, emotional, and sexual abuse So we just wanted to give you all a heads up about that. We will put the timestamps in the show description. Let's start with Bedfriend. Ben, what is Bedfriend about?
1: Bedfriend is a workplace romance involving a friends with benefits dynamic that places a known player king in pursuit of the office hottie in Ua. And what starts off as just kind of a kind of sexy thing where Ua is like, I'm too pretty for you and I don't deal with playboys. It becomes this really earnest exploration about how lingering trauma can impact your ability to form meaningful relationships with other people and about how. You can create really healthy boundaries with someone in a way that prevents you from actually helping them the way they need to be sometimes. What started off as a show that was advertised to us as just the sexy friends with benefits show into being the sexy love can heal all wounds show.
0: I don't know if it's fair to call it love can heal all wounds. I think one of the things that I like most about Bedfriend is that it's clear that love is not what's healing It's what's driving him to heal himself, I guess. But love in and of itself is not healing him. Dick is not magical, as you're so fond of saying.
1: That is true. That is one of the most important things to get from this.
0: Yeah, and I like that Bedfriend does not treat Dick like it's magical. is having a great time. King is having a great time. Ua is learning things about himself, and he is willing to do things that maybe he never thought he could do before. But King is not fixing him, and I like that. He is fixing himself. He is saving himself. That's one of my favorite things about this show.
1: This is a really unexpected show for me. I was afraid that this was going to be kind of a poem without plot story at first. I was not expecting Ua's reticence with King to have a decently grounded basis. And then for some of his other romantic and sexual hangups to be really well grounded. Because sometimes when they use trauma in these stories... It feels a little pat, like they want to make sure that they have these bits in here so they don't get accused of just writing a boring show. But I think all of Ua's trauma is handled well. I guess we should drop our trigger warning here uh, for the bed friend discussion. We will be discussing the plot and themes that happen in, it in its entirety. So this will involve physical, emotional abuse of a child, sexual abuse and assault of a young person and a child as well as workplace sexual assault by a superior, and other intimate partner violence from an ex. So this is going to get a little bit difficult if those topics are difficult for you. These are interwoven into the core nature of the plot and the way the characters are understood, so it's going to be hard for us to talk around it.
0: Yeah, and I don't think we should talk around it because I think one of the things that Bedfriend wanted to do is that it did want to explore some of that trauma in a healing way. But in order to heal, you have to go through. It's a difficult watch in a lot of ways, but I understand why they felt they needed to show what they did. A lot of the takes that I've seen talk about that it was trauma porn or that it's not realistic that somebody would be traumatized so many times in so many ways. And I'm here to tell you, as sad as it is, it's not unrealistic at all. People who are looking for victims find people who have been already victimized.
1: Right. And predators are good at finding weaknesses in the security net around their target. So, one of the moments that stands out to me is with Ua's ex. I don't remember what his name is, but fuck that guy. Everyone had been hanging around Ua because they knew that this guy was going to start some stuff. Like, he shows up and tries to accost Ua during the day. Jade is the only smart person ever in BL because he calls the building security to come snatch the dude. But, like, they know he's going to show up later. Everybody asks Ua the right things, like, should we file a report? Do we need to get a restraining order for this guy? Mm-hmm. And Ua's like, no, his dad's a politician, don't worry about it. But then later, Ua ends up having to stay late at work because Mon Cole ain't doing shit, so Ua and Jade are carrying too much work. And he catches Ua in a vulnerable moment when he thinks no one else is around. That's the kind of shit that happens to folks is they're being stalked by these awful people who know Like the one brief period when the people who are trying to look out for you blinked or looked away. And let me tell you, James is very good because it's been weeks since that scene, and I am still haunted by his voice as Ua calls for help in that moment. That is probably one of the most affecting scenes from a trauma perspective that I've ever experienced from Thai dramas and period I am still haunted by James's voice
0: the show took everything that happened to her incredibly seriously that to me was one of the really good things about it because the show wanted to say look we want to talk about this and we don't want to talk about this in a shallow way we want to talk about this in a real way we want to talk about this in a way that might be helpful to people we want to talk about this in a way that might be healing to people And I think because of that, the show took it incredibly seriously. So while the show technically, and when I say technically, from a technical standpoint in terms of the techniques of filmmaking, it is not the greatest. I really respect the show because it, I think, mostly accomplished what it set out to do. And what it set out to do as well felt worthy to me. I can't really ding the show. I can ding it on editing I can ding it on sound. There was one full effect that had me cracking up towards the end. But in terms of if it accomplished what it set out to do, and if what it set out to do mattered, I think that Bedfriend ticks those boxes.
1: She's also dinging it for overuse of the OST.
0: I don't even want to get started. (laughs) She's texting me every week, yo. Like, I hate this song. So much. And then, worse than the song punching through every moment that is supposed to be like very romantic and everything, they sub the lyrics of the song. So, not only is it punching through orally, I have to look at what they're saying (laughs) and it's so on the nose because the line they always come in on is, I want to be more than a friend or some shit like that. And I'm just like, ah, not this again. Technically, from a filmmaking perspective, this show is not great. There are like a couple of moments in the direction that are interesting, but from a technical standpoint, the show is not great. Acting-wise, Net and James together, whenever they're in a scene together, they're present, they're there, they make it real. When they're acting outside of that, it's a little wibbly sometimes. James is generally pretty good. All the things that he has to convey, he conveys. Nett is also pretty good. James is slightly better than Nett. All the things that need to be conveyed, they convey. But when they're working together, it's probably some of the best work that they do in the show.
1: You can tell that these two have been working together for a long time, and that they're very close, and that there's a lot of trust between them. But I agree with you. I think... There's a lot of early Ty BL tendencies in this, and I don't want to be rude to chew in on this because that's my boy. But everybody feels really stiff sometimes. The blocking is so limited sometimes. Like, nobody really gets to move around much.
0: The blocking's kind of stiff. Like, they hold on moments that don't really make sense to hold on. It feels, in some ways, theatrical, sometimes, in a way that doesn't always work on screen, because it feels, you're right, stilted. This is part of Chi-Wen's style, and it works sometimes. Like, it worked great in Secret Crush on You. It does not work here so much. But I don't feel like it detracts from the story.
1: It doesn't. Like, we talk about pulps and, like, prestige stuff. And, like, TV kind of always sits closer to the prestige end of that spectrum like this is probably like two notches below that
0: yeah it's like reaching for a prestige story with pulp filmmaking techniques
1: yes it's in about the same place that i think you're my sky sits in terms of production stuff like where they wanted to be good they were very good Like They used a lot of their best efforts on the action of the bedroom scenes, whereas You're My Sky used it on its sports scenes, which is appropriate because You're My Sky is a sports show, and this is a friends with benefits story. I feel like that comparison works for me because You're My Sky is punching way above its weight in terms of what it's trying to do.
0: I don't know that in terms of production quality that Bedfriend sits about the same place. I think it's maybe slightly lower than that in terms of production quality. Mostly because of the color and the sound. Your My Sky has way better color and sound. That's true.
1: So you're the more romance-oriented of the two of us. I think you should unpack the arc of their romance before we maybe unpack it more specifically.
0: When they do these high heat, more explicit BLs, I always like to see how they're utilizing the sex scenes and how they're utilizing sex to tell the story. Using sex in a romantic story is always really interesting to me. I've written about this with King Porsche and Cutie Pie and now Hair. I think it's really important that every time we see them have sex, it's a different flavor. Something different is happening with them emotionally. Something has changed between them or something is different between them. And so you can track the actual progress of the emotional relationship through the sexual relationship, which I find is really interesting. So King and Ua start this relationship. King has always had a little bit of a thing for Ua. And uh, Ua won't give him the time of day because Ua thinks he's a player. Part of that as well is that Ua is basically catnip. Ua is very, very pretty. He gets a lot of attention at work, outside of work. And he is just not interested in all these players. And he has put King in that box. They go out for some work thing, and Ua gets stunk and drunk. King takes him back to his place, and Ua kind of hangs on to King, and they have sex. There's no other way to describe what happens. They have raunchy drunk sex.
1: I think what happens for King and Ua is Ua was exhausted by his own life and he uses sex to cope with that in those moments and he knew king wanted him so he just chose king at that moment king re- reacts to it by being embarrassed by it despite the questionable nature of their first encounter that's not what king wants They're Dynamic to be.
0: There's a lot of speculation that King was in love with Ua from the beginning. I don't necessarily believe that. I think that he has always been interested in Ua, that he is intrigued by Ua, he is definitely attracted to Ua. I don't think that he, at the beginning of this all, that he's already in love with U and that he sees this as his chance, which is the conventional wisdom on what happened there. That doesn't feel correct for me somehow. King's philosophy on love and sex is that he enjoys sex. He doesn't see a reason to deny himself sex. He's always honest with his partners about what it is. He's never been in love. But he knows that when he does fall in love, that he will be faithful. He's not going to be a player when he's in love. Ua doesn't believe that. Ua has all these rules that come from his trauma when he was growing up, when he realized he was gay, and he was starting to be interested in boys. His mom called him a slut. She called him all kinds of things. Locked him in a bathroom.
1: Inflicting a permanent... Fear of the dark on the poor boy?
0: Yeah, so he feels like if he is more sexually free and open, then he's exactly what his mother always said he was. It is part of his entire architecture of himself that sex is something to be indulged in in a relationship. It is not something that you just go out and do. You have to be in love to have sex, otherwise, you're a slut. Like he's internalized those messages from his mother so his philosophy of love and sex is entirely different from king's and how they even get on the same page how they even get to the point where they could agree to start this friends with benefits relationship is because ua has let the wall down and king is like okay you have let the wall down i'm just gonna put it out there and ask for what i want and let's see what happens and ua is at the point he's just like you know why the fuck not If I'm going to be a slut, then I'll be that. That's where Uwe starts. King's happy to get into this because he thinks, okay, well, Uwe doesn't like me. He is never going to have feelings for me. I'm not going to end up in a situation where I'm with somebody who's going to start clinging to me. That's fine. I can just have really good sex. I already know that we can have good sex because we had good sex. This is going to be fun and interesting. I'm attracted to this dude. Why not? Uwa's thing is he falls in love too easily because he has to equate love and sex in his mind. When he has sex with somebody, he has to end up in a relationship with them. And that hasn't been working out for him because all these dudes, they just want to bang him and leave. Or they want to bang him and victimize him or all these other things. So his conceptions of sex and love are warped. He falls in love too easily, whereas King does not let himself fall in love. So the way that they end up together is that they create this relationship, but there are all these rules. The most important rule, I think, is Ua saying, okay, we'll sleep together, but if you're sleeping with me, you can't be sleeping with anybody else. So that fulfills Ua's need to not feel like a slut while still being sexually free. King's like, the sex is good. I don't necessarily need to go somewhere else if I'm getting it here. This is fine. He accepts the rule. And because he accepts the rule, they can't behave like they would normally behave. Because I get the feeling that King gets bored and he can't get bored because if he gets bored, it's going to be the end of the thing with him and Ua. is isn't going to just fall in love with him because in his head it's like, oh, this is only sex. It's fine. So they can't behave the way that they would normally behave in relationships. And it means that they have to be real with each other in a strange kind of way. And that's where it starts and that's where it develops from. And that took me so long to get out.
1: I think what works really well for me and why I got it for Ua was he and King have ill-advised encounter, something I generally enjoy in BL because I know gay people. It's messy. King doesn't let Ua blow him off and makes sure that they go and get tested. And that immediately starts to, I don't want to say demystify, but it doesn't make it this whole thing. King is like, yeah, we had a great time. We probably shouldn't have done it that way so that we can both feel okay moving forward. We should do this step. And it becomes a little after school, especially, but I really like the way it's incorporated into uh, sex as normal. We we have to do these things so that we can move forward.
0: Yeah, I did like that. I like the way that king treated that so matter-of-factly and because he treated it so matter-of-factly ua had to treat it matter-of-factly as well like he couldn't be afraid of it i guess king treating it so matter-of-factly made it feel okay it made it feel normal it made it feel like something that he could do it made it feel okay all right maybe he's not a total irresponsible human being kind of thing so it starts the softening. I agree. It does start the softening towards King. I
1: like how as they get closer to each other, the complications from Ua's trauma come up in a way that doesn't immediately get explained to King. And I like that King asks up to a line. like He knew kind of what was going on with Pak. He did not know about what was going on with Ua's family for a long time. And it's the fact that King doesn't push and respects these rules that kind of gets them into trouble at some point because King gets just a little bit jealous and thinks that Ua maybe wanted Crit's attention and says some nasty things to Ua because he's not sure how serious Ua is because Ua's always playing aloof with him.
0: I like that King knows where the boundaries are and he knows when he has crossed one and he pulls back I also like that he makes mistakes in doing that so many commenters so many people have labeled King green flag and I I have real problems with the green flag label as applied to people or characters as opposed to actions or behaviors. And one of the reasons that I have a problem with that label applied to people and characters is some of what the commentary was around. For example, King having that fight with Ua about Crit, who is his boss, who is harassing him. Everybody's like, well, why would he do that? He should know better. And the thing is that, no, he's human. He doesn't know what's happening. He's having these negative feelings. He's jealous. He's never been jealous before because he hasn't cared about anybody in the way that he cares about Ua. He's in this weird place where he feels like he knows Ua, but there's clearly stuff that Ua isn't telling him that is feeding into his insecurity. He likes Ua. He wants to be with Ua. Ua isn't giving him anything to go on. And he is almost afraid to ask. So he's having these negative emotions and he's expressing them in a negative way, which is so human, but it just becomes a thing of, oh, red flag, red flag. I'm like, no, he's not. People are not green flags. Behaviors are green flags. And some people are going to deal with a situation in the right way and deal with another situation in the wrong way. And then realize that they've maybe dealt with that situation in the wrong way and correct themselves, which is what King did. But like the whole green flag discourse, I don't like it. It just makes me uncomfortable.
1: I'm going to beg all of you to let go of Calvinism when you watch these shows. You have to let go of predeterminationism when you're trying to deal with real people. People do things they are not the things they do it's really really unhealthy to project so much onto these characters this need for them to be an idealized version of the person you either want or want to be it's not good You have to appreciate that people are complicated. And like, yes, it's fiction. The one thing about fiction versus reality is that fiction has to make sense for us to enjoy it. Our lives don't always, but it is not unreasonable for King, a character we know has fallen desperately in love with Ua, to be frustrated that Ua doesn't seem to be acknowledging the feelings that King is expressing within the confines of the box Ua put them in. That's an ugly moment. And King is wrong. And he knows he's wrong. But I feel like a lot of people got hung up on this moment and they couldn't reconcile the version of King that's really kind and gentle with Ua and understanding with Ua and patient with Ua with the version of King that gets frustrated about how maybe sometimes Ua doesn't always appreciate that
0: we talk a lot on the show about how we are always refreshed when characters are allowed to be wrong and this is another instance where i was glad that they let that sit the way that it was that king was wrong and king was shown to be wrong and he had to go and apologize and make up for it because he was wrong and and Then because he was sincere in his apology and his making up for it, they were able to move past it. It's not that it suddenly becomes right or that King is suddenly an awful person or whatever it is, but it's the fact of the process. I had an ugly outburst that came from an insecure place. I knew it was wrong when I was saying it, but it came out anyway.
1: And here's how I'd like to make up for it. First, I got that motherfucker
0: fired. (laughs) In the grand scheme of the plot of the show, it ended up for most people being a blip. And that's the other thing I don't like about Green Flag Label, because it's something that happened and should be like acknowledged to have happened and discussed to have happened. But because people like the King character and think that the King character is a good person, they gloss over it. So you have two reactions to it. It's either people get really into the idea of it and, oh my God, why did they do that? And they ruined the character or they get into, I'm just going to pretend this never happened. And neither of those is a great way of dealing with it. I really just despise that yeah, kind I, of I, I don't. I don't like that.
1: We should talk about character motivations and the ways they express their motivations, and how the character's motivations and the actions they take in the story contribute to the overall narrative that's being told here, and the kind of ideas that the show is asking us to play with as a result. And it's so frustrating when we have to go, This character is a good person, this character is a bad person. I don't like the finality of the tone when people say that sometimes like even with crit and whatever ua stepdad's name is crit was making vile choices but like it's important to remember that he's consistently making the choice to do that like he's not out of control of himself he's not a monster in the sense of he is this antagonistic force that's acting on Ua and other members of the plot. He's a person in power who's used to getting what he wants and abusing it horribly and choosing to do it consistently, not only to Ua, but other staff members as well.
0: This is the thing where you label characters villains. To me, I've always said villainy is cruelty. So the fact that he's consistently and continually making the choice to behave the way that he does, and he's never apologetic about it, that. I think, would cross him into the line of villainy. But I'm acknowledging that this is a character engaging in actions. The actions are negative, but it's the consistency of the negative actions and the unapologeticness for the negative actions, which are what cross over into villainy.
1: I really liked Net and James's overall
0: chemistry in this show.
1: Like, What works so well about them is because sex is such a big deal in this show, There's a moment really early on, around episode three or four, I believe, when Ua's had a particularly difficult day on his sister's birthday, I think. And he goes back home, has a terrible encounter with
0: the stepdad. It's his birthday, actually.
1: Oh, ew. (sighs) He goes to King's place and... While King is excited to get one of their three sessions in a week as part of their rules, uh, he senses something is wrong right away. And he dials back the encounter, encourages Ua to take a bath and relax and calm down, and then brings him a cake to celebrate his birthday. And that was one of those moments where things felt like they started to turn for me because they didn't exactly have sex right away that time. And that felt just as significant as the sex that they were having.
0: I did like that scene because Ua comes in basically hot and sweaty, hell bent for leather. He comes in that door and he's ready. He's feeling bad. He wants to feel good. So he basically attacks King as he comes through the door. And King is like, Not that I don't like this, but are you okay? Which is huge.
1: And then Ua admits that he isn't.
0: And then Ua admits that he's not okay. So it's huge on both their sides. It's on the one side, Ua is seeing that King actually cares about him as a person. In turn, Ua feels now more open to admit something internal or deep in himself. He is not okay. And then King takes care of him not being okay. And then King does something for him that he couldn't have possibly known was going to touch him in the way that it touched him. But because King is being thoughtful in that moment, it ends up being exactly the thing that Ua needs because he could not have known about the birthday cake trauma that Ua has. Basically, Ua has never had a birthday cake. He's celebrated his birthdays by himself with a candle on an empty plate. And King could not have known. That getting Ua a birthday cake would be one of the most thoughtful, amazing things that he could have done for him. But it is. And Ua, he's so, you can see it on his face. It's some of the best acting that James did. And James did a lot of good acting. The way that he looks at King when King brings him that cake, it's awe. There's no other word to describe it. It's absolute awe.
1: It was really good. There's been a couple of times where I really liked the way James as Ua looked at King. When he brings out the cat ears, great acting by Nett in that scene. Because Nett plays King as extremely aroused with anticipation about this and also a little bit nervous. And the way James responds as Ua, where Ua sinks into like his kind of aloof thing of mild annoyance. As he sees the cat ears after handing the glass off. Absolutely fantastic.
0: But the way the moment turns when he looks at King. And he sees that actually King's nervous about this. Because this is a very vulnerable thing. To open yourself up to share a kink with somebody. You don't know how they're going to react to it. It's an incredibly vulnerable thing. And so he sees that King is being vulnerable with him in this moment. And he's almost holding his breath. While panting, while panting heavily. (laughs) Somehow at the same time, holding his breath and breathing mad heavy. I don't know how he's doing both at the same time, but he's accomplishing it, right? But basically, Ua sees that King's really nervous about this. And he's like, okay, he is being open and vulnerable I am willing to do this. That was a major turning point in their relationship. King became a major turning point in their relationship. The fact that King asked for it, the fact that Uwe saw what King asking for it meant, and the fact that Uwe responded to King asking for it with a I will do this for you and I will enjoy this. And then they did enjoy it.
1: It's maybe me, but it's implied that I think they switched that night, too.
0: It is heavily implied, of course. They never exactly say what they're doing. You know, there's always a lot of hand wave around the sex in these shows, even when they're pretty explicit. But it's heavily implied that, yes, that the vulnerability extends beyond the kink itself into other kinds of vulnerability within the sex
1: they were so giddy the next day at work that really sells that scene too like the follow-up of them being kind of like embarrassed is the wrong term but like they were giddy with each other
0: giddy is the exact right word they're not embarrassed they feel glue. it's very clear that something shifted between them that night. Their relationship feels different the day after that. And there is a moment where they're at the office and they're kind of smiling at each other and King like calls Ua on the phone so he can have a conversation with him. And he asks him to go away with him and he nearly says, I love you on that phone call. I think I understand what reasons that he holds back from doing it. I think that at that point he's ready to do it, but he wants to do it in a really romantic way. So he holds back from it. But at that point, like if he had said that to Ua, and if he had asked Ua at that point, will you be my boyfriend? Ua would have said yes.
1: I think that's the biggest thing with King is he gets in his head a little bit. And I think every time he wants to say it to Ua. He thinks Uwe will reject him or scoff at him. And so he doesn't
0: say it. But I don't think that's what that was in that moment. I think he held back in that moment because he wanted to make it a bigger deal. He didn't just want to say it on the phone at the office. Because I don't think in that moment that he thinks that Uwe will reject him. In other moments, definitely. But not in that moment.
1: I don't know. It's one of those moments where I just wish he really would have said a thing, cause it thing. Because it would have saved us all a lot of trouble.
0: <laughs> oh boy but then the show would have also been shorter speaking of which i
1: like how the last two additional episodes give us the chance to see ua coming down from the high state of tension he's existed at for a long time like seeing the stepdad go to jail and seeing crit no longer at their workplace having the boss say this horrible thing happened to you We're going to pay for treatment to help you manage this long term, getting used to his uh, regimen with his medicine, being open with King about that, and then being able to enjoy a version of his life where all of the people who hurt him the most have been removed from the equation.
0: People called the last two episodes unnecessary and fluff. I don't subscribe to that. I think that they were very important, especially episode 9. Episode 10's a little fluffy. But episode 9, I really think that that was all really necessary stuff. If for nothing else, for the fact that Ua gets to go to therapy that the therapist or the psychiatrist has prescribed him medication, that he is open about it, that he is now in a place where he can tell King the things that have happened to him, and that King reacts to them in the way that he reacts to them. He's very focused on Ua, and the fact that Ua is sharing this with him means something to him and he's not going to re-traumatize ua by making ua shit about him bottom line is i think bedfriend was absolutely worth it it is a lot of triggers a lot of trauma i wouldn't necessarily recommend it because of that But once you give all the necessary trigger warnings and everything, and it's something that you feel like you can handle, I would recommend watching it. I give it a nine because the editing was on crack and ayahuasca. I swear to God.
1: I gave it a nine. I don't think the workplace stuff was used consistently. I felt like they had to consistently go back to be like, "All right, this is a workplace. We need to do something at the office.
0: The workplace stuff wasn't integrated well. And it's a real shame because the workplace story is so crucial to the rest of the story. And I just find that it wasn't integrated well at all. And then they had those two weird characters. And they used them as comic relief that didn't quite work. Bed Friends are Nine. And it is a recommend with warnings show.
1: I think the warnings are necessary, but not because I think they're handled poorly. You just shouldn't be blindsided by them as they come into
0: play. And the show does blindside you with them, to be fair. If you're not prepared for it, they seem to come out of the blue. But that's also part of what the show is trying to do. It's trying to show you that you can't tell. So I I appreciate the show using it like that, but... At the same time, nobody should be blindsided like that. I
1: liked it. Sincerely.
0: Yeah, I think it's a good show. The second of our workplace BLs that we're going to talk about this season is A Boss and a Babe. Ben, what is A Boss and a Babe about?
1: A Boss of the Babe is about this character named Cher, who is a new intern at a fairly small-ish gaming company. While there, he ends up befriending the CEO of this company and getting deep into this guy's sad gay feelings. The two of them develop a consensual workplace relationship that everyone frowns at. A lot of different things happened. But eventually the two of them make it and are on a marriage track now. Kind of a hot mess of a description, but but it's a hot mess of a show.
0: <laughs> that was surprisingly concise for you, I was about to say. There's a lot to unpack, but it's a mess! I think we're in agreement that this show had problems. <laughs> but. But. We still had enjoyment from this show, I think. Let's start with what we liked. What did you like about the show?
1: I like the cast. Force, in particular, is very good at expressing fondness with just his face. I also really enjoyed Book getting to play a manic pixie dream boy in this one because he has just such an ethereal quality because of how bright his skin is and the, and the way like light reflects off of him. That if you use like a softer lens, he tends to glow. And so because he seems a little unreal when you just stare at him sometimes, it was really good to make him an almost hyper real character. And he plays high energy actually really well. I actually liked Mike in this. I'm not always a fan of Mike. I thought Mike played Jack really well overall. I can't remember the name of the actress who plays Ollie right now, but she's so funny. You can see the cash struggling to hold themselves together with her around all the time. And I thought that that was a real delight. I liked the way the show looked overall. Because New, despite all the things we're going to say about him later in this episode, he's very good about using money effectively. And this show was consistently decent to look at. Speaking of decent to look at, Thor looked great in this show. My goodness. It was nice to see Thor in a glow up after playing such a sad sack in the warp effect.
0: I also like the cast. I think that everybody was playing at a fairly high level. I enjoyed the work that they were doing. I enjoyed the interplay between the cast because this is a cast that had a lot of interaction. And I like the way that the cast dynamics worked out. Whether it was Gun and Share, whether it was Share and Jack, whether it was the gamers, whether it was the workplace gang, whatever configuration it ended up being, the energy and the interaction between the members of the cast in every permutation was really good. I actually enjoyed the core story. I like the idea of. Uh, A sad, misunderstood dude who everybody thinks that he's grumpy and terrible, but he's really just sad and awkward. Him coming out of his shell because somebody just pays attention to him and is kind. I like that central conceit. I like the idea of being kind to somebody as an initial outpouring rather than in reaction to something. I like that Cher just looks at this sad guy, and it's just like, "No." <laughs> and it just goes from there. I like how self-aware all of the characters are, as much as there's like a screwball energy going on and there's a lot of who's on first, and weird dizziness. I like that all of the characters are really self-aware. They interrogate their thoughts, they come to conclusions about themselves that are mostly correct. They have big blind spots, yes but the way that it works is that they can't see something about themselves but somebody else who's in their circle can see it and can tell them about it and they're close enough and open enough that they can listen. In the early parts of the show it's a lot about perception and how people make up stories in their head about people that turn out to not be true.
1: That works really well.
0: That works really well in the beginning half of the show, I think. I like Forsen book I like Gun and Share as characters. The thing of the story is this is an incredibly inappropriate workplace relationship. This is a CEO and an intern in any sense. This is incredibly inappropriate, but you still have to want to root for them. And you do from the beginning, mostly because Cher doesn't give a fuck about this job.
1: That's actually something you and I talked about around episode two or three. We We're like, this dynamic would not work if Cher gave a single shit about this job.
0: He does not. And that's exactly why it works. It's just like, I'm just here to get a signature on a piece of paper, and then I'm out going on to live my life. So whatever happens here is just bonus. And part of the bonus is you got yourself a boyfriend. Well done. I like all of this. I like the character development, particularly for the central characters, So for Cher and for Gun. that's really the only characters that do get developed. And that's one of the things that we're going to talk about when we talk about what we didn't like. Anything else that you really liked about it?
1: I liked how queer a lot of the dynamics felt. I liked that Gunn felt like he was begrudgingly still best friends with his ex. Because that is super real in queer circles, because there's just not a lot of us who we can rely upon. So, like, it isn't always easy to just be like, I'm over this person. And then you sort your friends and just move on. I liked the way Cher came into his own sexuality. I liked that Cher was stunted a bit by the uncomfortable histories that had defined his first really big love. And I really liked the way 3 and Zoe were used in this show. I liked that even though they're kind of an overly sappy, kind of obnoxious BL couple, they're presented as an ideal that a lonely gay man hopes that he can have someday. We got to see Fluke be like a goofy gay dude again with a newbie who clearly was having a bunch of fun palling around on set.
0: I love Zo as a character. Zoe is the youngest of the characters, but he's definitely the mom friend.
1: I actually liked the gaming stuff, too. I played a specific video game at a very high level for a very long time. And so I get the amount of practice and determination and the way you get heated about stuff. Like when 3 has that huge, angry blow up and storms off, I'm like, I've been that captain. And they were playing for real money and they did win real money. And as we know, some of these characters genuinely needed that money. So there was quite a bit on the line for them.
0: But you see, here's the thing about this now, and we're I guess starting to delve into the parts of the show that I didn't really like. This stuff is happening mostly in the background, which is fine. Like this stuff doesn't necessarily have to be foregrounded, but all of these emotions and all the things that go along with it they're not given thematic heft in the story and that's a complaint that i have about some of the secondary plot points and towards the end even some of the primary plot points in the story so what didn't work for me I don't know if I can talk about what didn't work for me without cussing you out. And I want to get like a good stretch of time to cuss (laughs) you out. All right. So I guess (laughs) I'll talk about some
1: things that I really struggled with. I think the primary frustration I have with a boss and a babe is the problem I have with a lot of pulps. It feels like there are three or more pitches that were haphazardly consolidated into a single script. Like, clearly they wanted New to do a workplace show, but someone else around them really wanted to do a show about gamers. And so they compromised by doing the gamer story as part of the friend group, and they made the workplace a game development studio. Okay. But the problem is that... Like, with so many of his scripts, I just don't think new cares about all of the things that he has to execute in the project. Like, he always cares about the gay ideas. Like, like Gun is a lonely gay man who is lonely because everybody intentionally misunderstands him and makes up stories about him. The sheer presence of constant homophobia and the surveillance of being a rich dude who, anytime he does anything, apparently makes the fucking papers is like totally palpable to me and share responding to everyone in the village. He grew up in thinking that he's the reason that his best friend who he loved died is horrible. And I totally see him responding to that by projecting this aura of positivity and confidence as the way to cope and like these ideas play out really well early on but they don't really know what to do with the follow-through for that and then on the other end of the weirdness with that is the reality of what happens to tian is not given the kind of focus and respect that i think it needs to in the story and like as always with this like there are a lot of ideas i like like Toop not really knowing how to deal with the fact that he is financially reliant on Cher, but not able to tell Cher about what happened because of a sense of loyalty and then being mad at Cher for moving on from Tien because he's carrying around a whole secret about Tien. He's being loyal to her memory. So Share is not going to be loyal to her because he wants to go mess around with this dude. Like I get it, after the fact, but with so much of new stuff, I feel like I'm discovering the emotion of why I cared about this after it's resolved, not while it's building. That's the problem with a boss and a babe is I'm constructing a functional narrative after the fact, and then there are bits that he uses that he just discarded, like Gun has huge feelings about the fact that he fell out with time and they have a couple of really ugly fights in the show that I thought were actually really well executed. But then even after it's revealed that time didn't really do anything wrong, there's not really any closure there for the audience on that particular plot line. And I'm like, why was Drake even in this show?
0: I feel like I have a very strong sense of who every one of the characters is and what, Motivates them, what their goals are, what some of their dreams are. I feel like I have a very strong sense of who these characters are. And that's partially the writing and partially the acting, which is how you want it to be. But I feel like the story writing is at best inconsistent and at worst pretty weak. And I feel like that's new all over. I want to get to a point where we can really have the new discussion, but I don't want to, like, supersede the show discussion with the new discussion, even though they are related.
1: The question really is, like, what is A Boss and a Babe about? And it is about too many different things. Like, it doesn't really plant its feet anywhere. And that's what's really frustrating. Like, I can't really sum up the show. Say, this show is about a sad, lonely gay man and the manic pixie dream boy that showed up at his job and fixed his life because like, sure, that's kind of what happened, but it's also not, it's difficult. Like there were a lot of complaints about the character writing being inconsistent in the show and it isn't, it's the plotting that's inconsistent because they don't know what they want to put these characters through. Like, There's this whole reveal about, like, the mole plot that's underpinning a big part of the season. And we thought that it made most sense for Jack to be the mole and for there to be some sort of complicated history between Jack and time. And I feel like that was definitely in the script at some point and
0: got yanked
1: late, which is why Drake doesn't appear in the final episode.
0: You've given, like, one conception of what the show is about, which is Gunn's perspective. But if you flip it and look at it from, like, Sher's perspective, the show is about a kid who's had a rough go of it but decided to put on a brave face and tough it out, learning that he doesn't have to do that all the time and being able to actually lean on somebody. Because even with his friends, like, Sher, puts on this happy face and it's only as time goes on and he starts interacting with Gunn, and those walls start coming down, that he's even more open with his friends about certain things. That's another conception of what the story's about. Again, like you said, there are all these conceptions, these different conceptions of what the story's about, but I feel like there isn't a definitive, this is what the story is, kind of idea. Even in the plots that should integrate but don't, Gunn owns, Jack works at, and Cher is interning at, a game development company. Cher and Jack and their friends are on a gaming team. And those things don't interact at all.
1: I thought there was going to be more about the digital age stuff with the fact that Cher runs an ASMR channel. And that is just sort of like a throwaway to establish that Gunn was maybe already curious about Cher for other reasons.
0: And then they tie that back to, like, what Cher and Tien wanted to do before everything went to shit, which was that they wanted to get into that whole, like, digital content space. And then that just falls away.
1: What we have arrived at is this is a a script that could have done with maybe three more months of cooking.
0: It's not even just the amount of time. It's that new... I'm sorry, I'm just going to have to go for it. Okay, Go
1: for it, sweetie.
0: (laughs) New fucking Siwaj, man. Like, I feel like New always does this to me. Now, Ben is a big fan of New Siwaj. I don't know that I would call myself a fan of New Siwaj, but I will say that New Siwaj, to me, is a very interesting author. And the reason that New Siwaj is an interesting author to me is that he has really solid ideas. I feel like... The things that he wants to talk about are things that need to be talked about. And the way that he conceives of them and the way that he thinks about them, I think is really interesting. But I want New to go to the gym, do an upper body workout so that he can carry (laughs) his ideas further than he does. Because I don't know if his arms are weak. I don't know what it is. He just can't carry his ideas forward he gets distracted by shiny things he gets bored i think with some of his ideas like halfway through you know what it is it's that meme of drawing the horse where the front end (laughs) of the horse is like really detailed and like very well done (laughs) and then the back end of the horse is a stick drawing (laughs) that's how i feel about nisu watch I feel like he starts out with all the best intentions and he actually has really good ideas and the things that he wants to talk about are interesting things that I would like to see portrayed in media and portrayed in these stories that he wants to tell. I feel like he then once he has like started doing it he just wakes up one morning he goes "Eh." and that's like it and Then is just like phoning it in until the end, like that's how it feels. Like all his work feels like that to me, and this is to me classic Nusa Watch, classic, classic, classic Nusa Watch stuff. Because all the stuff that he normally wants to talk about, it's all here. New loves a sad gay.
1: That's why he's my favorite.
0: (laughs) New loves a love interest, sort of barreling in. New love's a supportive friend group. New love's uh, figuring out and discovering your sexuality story where you're supported without being outed, where your friends are like, well, we know, but until you tell us, we don't know nothing. Like, these are all hallmarks of new... If you look at all New So week, if you look at Love By Chance, if you look at Until We Meet Again, if you look at My Only 12%, if you look at these things... A Boss and a Babe is very obviously a New Suwage show. It fits in with all the themes that New Suwage enjoys exploring in his shows. And just as well as that, it is plagued by all the New Suwage problems. (laughs) He absolutely needs to collaborate because New on his own, he has great ideas, but his execution is so spotty. New is great at a scene. Scene work, he's one of the masters. When I look at specific scenes and then the number of those specific scenes, the scenes that he was really interested in getting right and how he constructed them and how he directed them, like, I see the talent. But then he puts those scenes together haphazardly, whether it's in an episode or an arc or in the entire story. It doesn't flow the right way. He can't construct to me anything longer than a scene. And then I feel like he doesn't storyboard. So plot threads, like they come up and they go down and they disappear and they reappear and there's no through line. to a lot of the things. He loves third act left field bullshit, which why? Why, after I have gone through this story, we are now in the third act and something is coming that was never a, a part of the discussion, suddenly coming in and taking over the whole story? Mm. I want to love New Sawaj's work. Because New Sawaj has good, interesting ideas. When he is actually interested in seeing those ideas through, He can do really well. And then also when he's collaborating with other people on his ideas, it works really well because they temper the worst of his bullshit. But when it's just new, playing in a sandbox by himself, it feels very dilettante. Sometimes he just feels like a bored rich kid. It's so upsetting. I want to shake him. I want to be like, sir. Snap the fuck out of it. You can do this. <laughs> you can do this. You just need to focus. I don't think
1: it's about like him needing to focus more or work harder. He feels like the usual issue that really talented gifted people have of being so used to being able to do so much on their own, they don't know how to work with other people or ask for help at the things that they're maybe not that strong at. Don't know that he's a great collaborator because since Make It Right, it's basically just been him doing his own thing. And I would really just like to see New either as a producer guiding a team or working with people that he saw at his level and being forced to cooperate with them more. Because you're correct, like he starts strong, but he doesn't finish strong. And that's what we'd love to see from his work for once we usually love his work on the front end of some of the big ideas that are being constructed. And then we get to the back end and we're like, Oh my God, what the hell is going on here? Episodic structure is incredibly important. Individual episodes have their own internal arcs that make those episodes distinct in the overall narrative. And a boss and a babe has none of that. I cannot tell you what happened on a boss and the babe episode by episode one of the things that Nini and I are usually pretty good at is highlighting specific moments where they fit in the story. Nini tends to remember them by episode exactly, and we just don't have that with *The Boss and the Babe* at all. You like, we could not tell you when moments in this show happened.
0: One of the things that came up in the clown server when we were yelling at each other about the show is how disarranged it feels. Even the things that we're mad about, like we come to the conclusion that you could have kept all of the elements in the particular plot line. If you had just arranged them differently, the whole thing works better. Where things happen in the narrative is equally as important, maybe more important than what happens in the narrative. And part of the problem is that where things happen in the narrative is just screwed. And that's a storyboarding issue. In the pre-production phase and in the post-production phase, I would love for there to be somebody sitting next to you who just says no. Somebody who can just overrule him on certain things about structure and organization. Because I think structure and organization are his real weaknesses in terms of his filmmaking. I don't think he lacks for ideas. I don't think he's untalented at the actual process of production. His shows always look good. They always sound good. The camera work, the scene work, it's always good. But the story's just... need somebody to just yank them together. I would love to just recut this entire show.
1: The biggest thing for me is like Jack needs to be the mole and he and time need to have been exes because the problem is in a show about workplace romance, the side couple is used for gay things, not workplace things like three and Zoe are lovely. And I think fluke and new baby home are cute and have a good time, but they only work well for the romance between gun and share. They don't really work well for the, Questionable romance of doing something at work. And that's the part that's been really frustrating. This show is particularly irritating because it's not great. I don't know that it's like bad. Like, we've had worse shows. I don't think
0: it's a bad show.
1: But like, this show brought out some real frustration with me. With fandom itself in a way that I usually ignore, but I found myself super duper irritated about along the way. Some of the things I get frustrated about is people using the tools of criticism inappropriately just to say they don't like something. Like, you don't have to pathologize not liking something and just saying it's not for you. Like, this show's kind of a goofy mess and. The character work is solid, but it never seems to be working with whatever the plotting is going on. is an easy way to say, yeah, this show's just not that great. But the problem that happened for me with this show was one of the big ideas in the show that they tried to hold on to for at least the first three or four episodes was that people are going to perceive you a certain way. Regardless of what you do or say. Like, as soon as they look at you and go, you're gay, they're going to start using slurs for you in their head. And it doesn't matter what you do or say at that point. They've decided who you are. There was a great moment in like the first episode where Cher cuts down these caddy girls at work for being homophobic about gun. And there's the whole notion about the way Cher's village is wrong about him. And it was frustrating for me in a show that's being very loud about how people are not who we see them as in the Brief bits we get about them—a fairly adult thing to maybe look at. It was super frustrating to see the characters in the show just get reduced to, like, if Gun's a grumpy mean boss, why do we never see it? Like, that's maybe the point. Maybe he's not a grumpy mean boss, and people are misunderstanding him and reading into minor interactions with him way too hard. And the same thing with Share. Like, why is Cher perfect? He's not perfect. He just doesn't acknowledge his own failure and doesn't care about when he fails. It was genuinely really upsetting to see this done to, like, explicitly queer characters. Because for me, it begs the question of when do you love gay people? Do you only love us when we're funny? When we're bright, shiny, and chrome? When we're entertaining? When we're sexy, what if we're not in a good mood and we don't want to be sunshine for you today? And it feels like a lot of that got leveled against Gunn's character in a way that I personally took offense with. He wasn't an ideal gay, and so we have to dislike him or pick apart his characterization. And it was the same for Cher, that he got stunted in his sexuality by everything that went wrong with Tian, which I think should have been pulled out way sooner. And so he's discovering his queerness slowly and not really wanting to take a huge leap on that. I just feel like both of these characters were not given a lot of grace. This is not the first time I feel like fandom has really struggled with complicated gay characters. And it's becoming a sticking point for me and is making me kind of sore in some of the interactions we have around here.
0: I, too, am always annoyed by misuse of the tools of critique and criticism because I am a person for whom words mean things. <laughs> and so when you say things like the writing's bad, I'm like, okay, well... You're saying that the writing's bad. So like, tell me, okay, what are the markers of bad? Is it inconsistent? Show me where it's inconsistent. Is it this thing? Show me where it's this thing. I can always accept, yeah, I just didn't like it. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not going to judge you, but (laughs) I can accept. I just didn't like it. It wasn't for me. Okay, fine. I cannot accept because I didn't like it. It must be bad. I do not like that. I've never liked that because to me, it just feels intellectually dishonest. It feels intellectually dishonest to look at something that perhaps you don't like or more often that you don't understand and to say, because I don't like it, it must be bad. We don't really talk a lot about fandom on this show, but I think around Boston and Babe, like it got to me. I'm an adult. People's opinions are their opinions. I try not to let people's opinions piss me off. But I got quite pissed off.
1: Generally, I think people are allowed to be wrong on the internet. And I usually try to just be like, whatever, someone's just being wrong on the internet. It was frustrating for me this time because there are messy parts of this show. But one of the clear ideas is that Gun is a gay man. And the world has made him feel lonely. And it was so upsetting to see fandom be just so mean to him. I don't usually be like, oh, no, leave my blorbo alone. Like, I'm really that person. This is like the first time that's really happening. I was like, why are we being so harsh to a character who's just enamored with the manic pixie dream boy who thinks he's a little too severe? And is determined to make sure he has a good day. When's the last time someone cared if Gunn had a good day? The takes felt really unkind. And I did not like that at all. Is this how you feel about the rest of us? I don't get to interact with a lot of other boys in fandom all the time. But goddamn, y'all. Is this how you feel
0: about gay people? shit. It felt reductive, and I don't like taking a character where the complexity is there and reducing that character to some kind of archetype in your head because this is what you feel like you were promised. The show makes a whole point about
1: how people are going to actively misperceive you. And like we were so close to getting it. And they're like, the show keeps saying that he's a mean, bad boss, but I don't see it. And I'm like, you're so close. Come on.
0: Come, <laughs> on. Come on. You got this. I think that there's one choice that was made that if that choice had gone differently, I think it would have rammed home the theme better. And that would have been if they had actually followed through on the time thing. Because the thing that was coming through to me in the writing, and I think you and I talked about this, time felt righteous which made us think that we're going to see that he was also being misperceived and that just sort of fell away
1: that's another real disappointment it's why like i gave the show a seven like it's very watchable and i think the characters are amusing enough and the work is fine but like Not completing the time storyline, losing the thread about how perception impacts you. Like you said, like we had a team of gamers and a gaming company and not a single crossover really felt like it happened between that feels like a huge missed opportunity.
0: I think it was episode eight or nine when I think things started to go off the rails. It was when they
1: had like the whole, like, Cher's not talking to me. I'm gonna go talk to him right now. I'm like, oh, I like that. And they pull Sharon to the bathroom and they have a reconciliation. And then they get out it and they're like, oh no, new problem. And then, like, my mom is here now. She solved it. Wait, what? How? Who did she kill? <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then. And then they're like, okay, so I guess we're done with that. All right, I'm going to break up with him now. Wait, wait a minute.
0: <laughs> Around episode nine is when. The shit started, basically. But up until then, I felt like I had a clear sense of the narrative. I felt like I understood what the show wanted to say. I felt like the directions they were going in made sense. And I feel almost like the rug got pulled at that point. There's still stuff in those later episodes, mostly the stuff between Gun and Cher when it's not being yanked around for narrative purposes. There's still stuff in there that feels really legit and emotionally honest. Like in the later episodes, I think 10, 11, and 12, Gun and Cher's like physical and emotional relationship. Aside from all the, like I said, narrative yanking around, it felt really grounded, really solid. Like every time I saw them in a scene together, I felt connected to it and I understood where it was going and then in between those like all kinds of weird decisions got me <laughs>
1: <laughs> speaking of like good scenes with share and gun the scene that I think I liked the most from them was again like when we talk about new is good at a scene like this is a scene he's been wanting to do for a long time it was share taking initiative in bed where they have like married sex
0: that was such a good scene
1: And there was a really great delivery of... What's the line? It's like, is it okay if I start it?
0: Gun is like, you're starting it, and Cher is like, can I? Yes. And like that
1: was such a layered line. It was really fascinating to see them negotiating what sex was going to mean for them. And there's a great delivery later where Gunn, in his afterglow, is being especially affectionate with Cher... And Cher's like, You always say that whenever we're doing it. And he's like, And I mean it when we're not doing it too. And that's again a line that I really loved of new trying to hammer home that like sex as intimacy does not mean that it's only about that particular component. He's got a lot of deep ideas about the way gay sex is perceived and how that impacts the real intimacy going on in people's lived relationships that I was like, I'm really into this, but as always with new, like I'm really into the ideas he has about being a gay man. Cause he and I are about the same age. So like everything he's thinking about, I'm also thinking about.
0: The way that new interprets sex and intimacy, he uses sex within intimacy, not intimacy within sex, watching gun and sure be physically intimate. It's not hot, but it feels very loving. It feels very married. It feels very settled. It feels very much like coming home in a way. It feels like the characters are really having a great time, even though I'm not in that great time exactly with them, if you know what I mean. Like, I look at it like, oh, I look on fondly. It's like, Y'all really love each other and y'all are having so much fun, but it's not hot. Aside from like the lived and the lovingness of the intimacy between Gun and Cher, one of the things I really enjoy is just looking at Cher's journey with his sexuality and his comfort with physical intimacy, because he does go along a journey that I think is very well depicted in the show. The first time they kiss, it's incredibly awkward because nobody intended to kiss anybody. It just became like a dare and a dare and a dare. And then they did it. And then he was just like, oh, do I like this? And then the next time you see them be intimate in any way, he's like, I think I like this. And then the next time there's a sense of I definitely like this. And the last time you see them, it's like, yeah, give me that body. It's a very interesting way to map the progression of Cher's comfort in himself and also the progression of time. Because that's another problem I have with this show is that I cannot measure the passage of time in any way in the show. It's horrendous.
1: Gunn is being really patient in a way that I thought was really endearing. Like you could feel the gay age gap there. They're not that different in age, but Gunn has known himself longer. And you can see him giving Cher the time and space he needs to sort where he falls out in this. Like, there's that moment when he kisses Cher in bed and he asks if he can kiss Cher and they kiss. And he asks if he can do more. And that is really sweet. There's a balancing line there. Gun's like, I'm not a sexless dude. There's a lot of things I want to do with you, but I'm excited to see what you want to do too. And I just really liked the way that unfolds like sometimes they do sexual awakening in movies and shit they put a lot of emphasis on that single encounter and this becomes like this huge movement for them i like that share needed to try gay intimacy multiple times to sort himself out because it was also his first encounter period so he's also working through like what does sex feel like for him and i wish we'd have spent more time on that
0: I feel like I am good with what we got, because I feel like it got the point across. Yes, more would have been good, but I don't feel like I was missing anything. I get you. I feel like I understood where they were going with that, and it landed well. I understood the point of it. I felt the progression, and I enjoyed it. I also liked the way that Gun played it as well. In the early episodes, one of the things that I really liked is that Gunn gives Cher the space to unpack all the feelings that he had about Tian. He not only listens, but he also offers Cher the comfort of saying, you loved her, she loved you, you were good for her. So much of BL, there's that idea that when you find your great love, none of your other loves mattered. And one of the things I really like about this show is that it says, well, no. Your other loves did matter. They do matter. Not because they ended did they cease to matter or never really mattered. They mattered to you. They shaped you. They were important to you. And I like that not only that the show invests in that idea, but that the characters invest in that idea as well.
1: I liked early on that Gunn was explicitly touch repulsed.
0: I don't think he was. I think he said that. But again, one of those things. I don't think he actually was.
1: But like, it's a gay thing. He actually does enjoy touching quite a bit, but impacted by homophobia where you have to pass. And so you don't want people touching you, particularly boys. It never ends well. You end up touch starved as a result because you never touch anyone. But you tell people you don't want to be touched because it prevents you from having uncomfortable moments with people that you just don't feel like managing. That's probably when I first fell in love with Gunn, because I was like, oh,
0: baby boy, come on now. (laughs) (laughs) I fell in love with Cher from the beginning. He is so fierce from the beginning about saying to Gunn, I am not repulsed by you. I. Care about you. This is somebody that he doesn't really know. The kindness in the way that Cher lives his life because everybody has been so unkind to him. The radical kindness that he's expending in his life. He's reaching out to the CEO of his company just because he seems sad. And he's like, You don't have to be sad with me. It's okay. I like you, even if nobody else does. There's something about that that really touches some of the deepest parts of me i have very visceral very emotional reaction to that and that's when i like really fell in love with Cheryl.
1: it's really frustrating with the show because there is some really interesting stuff established on the front end i'm like i'm really excited to see where some of this goes and it didn't go anywhere that we thought was really enjoyable or cogent and there were a lot of messy bits but man sharing gun three and zo tub jack Oi, even time and porsche they were really really great established characters like we've we talked on this podcast before about how when a show ends i can't even remember the name of the leads but i have a strong recall of the names of these characters because i think they had really distinct voices that i thought played well with each other That is a strong point about this show. The big thing that I think is a big part of the discussion now, a boss and a babe kind of use their workplace setting as backdrop, not really as a dramatic tool for generating scenarios for drama. What do we actually want from workplace BL?
0: Ben so now we've talked about Bedfriend and we've talked about A Boss and a Babe and we had a lot to say about New when we talked about A Boss and a Babe but we didn't talk so much about Chi Win when we were talking about Bedfriend so let's give the people a little insight into Chi Win. How would you describe Chi Win's work?
1: Man like I keep getting caught up in how Chi Win and New very much have really strong feelings about the same stuff. I think Chi leans more into being like a chaos gay than New does. Chi Wen also seems to care a lot about including femmes. He loves his femmes. He seems to enjoy comedy, I think, a lot more than New does. New really loves big cry-your-heart-out dramas. That's probably the biggest divergence that I've noticed with them. Like, I think Bedfriend's a little bit different for me with Chiwin because it's far more, like, seriously toned than I'm used to seeing him stick with the whole time. He doesn't undercut any of his dramatic tension with a lot of goofy comedy.
0: I don't know necessarily that you could say that he doesn't because some of the parts of Bedfriend that we noted sort of stuck out like a sore thumb were when Chi-Win tried to do comedy. Chi-Win seems to tend more towards a comedic band. New loves a sad gay. (laughs) The other direction I think in which they've diverged has been in terms of their approaches to sex and heat. Chi-Win's work is very high heat stuff most of the time. And New is the exact opposite. The way that Niu uses sex is very different from the way that Chi-Wen uses sex to tell stories.
1: I would agree. I think Niu is a little bit more precious about it than <laughs> Chi-Wen is, to put it mildly. But I think Chi-Wen uses sex really well in the work. Like, it's fascinating just seeing the two of them after all of these years. Like, I was not expecting both of them to release workplace set shows in the same year so that we could sit here and compare them. I think in both cases, like, you can see some of the things that they both fall into. Like, I don't necessarily know that they both cared about their workplace the whole time. Like, the workplace served as... A starting point to tell a bunch of their stuff but then it becomes about the other stuff and the workplace stuff falls away other than the plot line with the manager with ua the workplace of bedfriend mostly serves as an impetus to make the characters interact in public in front of other people We've talked at length about how A Boss and a Babe does not necessarily maximize the potential of its workplace setting.
0: I would argue that both shows cared to some extent about their workplace setting because there were plot lines that happened that could have only happened in the workplace setting. But Chewin's show focuses on pairs, co workers, same age, same level of responsibility, nobody's above another. Whereas I don't feel like New necessarily wanted to explore a power dynamic because he demolishes any power dynamic between Sharon and Gunn fairly quickly. I don't really have a sense of why New went for the boss employee.
1: I think New wanted a reason for them to be a bit careful about how they handled those sort of things. But I gotta be honest, in terms of doing workplace storytelling... I kind of like when there isn't like a huge gap separating the people from each other. And so we can focus more on why these two particular people either like or don't like each other right out of the gate. I thought that that was a lot more interesting to play with. Like I liked that Ua was resistant to King because he thought King was unreliable and a player.
0: There's so much to compare in terms of the stories. And granted, these are both adaptations from novels. So these are not original stories. But there have been some changes made to the novel stories by these authors. And I looked at the changes to see where the authors might have wanted to see certain things or what parts of the story they bring to the surface versus the parts of the story that they leave in the background or they jettison. It's really interesting for me that Bedfriend is a more or less faithful retelling of the Bedfriend story. There are one or two changes, but Bedfriend more or less is a largely faithful adaptation of its novel. I have not read the Boss and a novel, but from what I gather, more changes were made to that than Win meets bad friend i
1: think because Win was dealing with a story about a survivor he may have felt more of a sense of duty to not making too many changes to that to not undercut or erase what the original character went through
0: that makes a lot of sense Overall, I just find it so fascinating. These two guys worked together on Lovesick and Make It Right, then went in completely different directions. And I kind of want to see what they do next, if they're going to find themselves somehow aligning again, or if they're going to now completely diverge.
1: It's really fascinating just thinking about these two, because they start off in the school realm where a lot of early BL is, and now both of them are very much... Pushing their work beyond those settings. Like you can feel them growing up inside of their work as well. Both of these guys are very good working on the drama within the romance. Like these guys still have incredibly potent ideas about how the formative experiences that queer men go through have lasting impacts on them and that's been fascinating to see them continue to do even as they get older like neither of those guys have lost that and that continues to be the things that i notice the most in their work
0: that is going to wrap us up on work bitch our workplace romance episode all right we out say bye to the people ben peace